Um, as we start out, uh, before we jump in and dive into things, would you join me in a quick word of prayer? Father, we thank you for your presence here. We know you are here with us right now. Uh, we know you've given us your Holy Spirit and you're working actively in each and every one of us as we worship, as we praise you, as we meet and talk about the things from your word, as we talk about our church. Uh, Lord, um, continue to be active in us, molding us and shaping us and growing us each and every moment. Uh, may we be in tune to you this morning. Uh, Lord, I pray that the words that I say would reflect your truth, um, would be edifying and, and, and pleasing to you, and the things that aren't, Lord, help us to reject those. Uh, we lift that up in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so um, if you haven't met me before, um, I am not very good at relationship. Is that, is that how you wanted me to start, James? So pretty much don't listen to anything that I have to say from here on out. No, really, though. Um, growing up, I lived uh, pretty rural, off the beaten path, and I spent a lot of time on my own. Uh, I had a hard time fitting in, and I struggled hard to make friends. I was shy, didn't know what to do, what to say, how to interact with people, and that difficulty has plagued me for a long time. But a significant help and place of growth and encouragement for me has been within the body, within the church. Having Bible-directed ways to live out my faith and engage with God and others has been absolutely life-giving. As much as I've desired to be in relationship, to have friendship and intimacy, I've kind of always been on the fringes, watching and wishing. Belonging to Christ as a lifelong believer gives me the foundation for relational living as I follow him, but there's a divide when it comes to living that out in practical and tangible ways. I have struggled to get out of my own head. I think back to my upbringing. My parents were radically transformed by Jesus in their young adult years. And I was born into that deep awareness of Christ's sacrifice, um, the sacrifice for me and the reality of his love. But my parents had been deeply wounded in their early church experience. They left the church, they left other believers, and didn't go back. So I grew up knowing God's love, Jesus' humility. I knew the Holy Spirit's influence in my life but I lack the spiritual maturity that comes from rubbing shoulders with other imperfect people. I wasn't being challenged by interactions with others in the ways I served God or I explored my faith with other people. So I didn't develop the ways that he was calling me in the areas they intended to use me for his purposes. I've mentioned a couple of times, I've mentioned the church. Um, the church in Greek is ecclesia. Um, and it means a called-out assembly or congregation. So being part of the church has nothing to do with a building, nothing to do with a denomination, nothing to do with a fancy, fancy, uh, newfangled name for your church, like Northview. I'm sorry. But instead, it's all about the people that populate it. First uh, Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So we, everyone loosely connected with or called Northview, were a people for him. We have a purpose. And belonging to a group carries some particular responsibilities. 
Being in relationship with others has nuance in how you inter interact and how you speak and act, how you think. I didn't have to worry about that being somewhat of a loner, unattached and floating around. I could live fully in my head as much as I wanted. I was a believer, but my faith didn't have to be sharpened by other equally flawed and difficult humans. So one of my first ministry experiences, once I get involved in, and joined the church and became a ministry leader, one of my first ministry experiences was sitting in a meeting of pastors and having the leader of the group stand up and say, tongue-in-cheek, that familiar phrase, ministry would be great if it wasn't for people. Now, I'm pretty sure you could preface the if it wasn't, people, what wasn't for people part by any possible situation. Driving would be great if it wasn't for people. Enjoying the entire box of donuts guilt-free would be great if it wasn't for people. Being as sarcastic as I want and not worrying about what I say would be so gratifying if it wasn't for people. Uh, my wife, Lisa, uh, as I was going through this, pointed out that I was wrong. Um, sarcasm wouldn't be nearly as fun without someone to direct it towards. <laughs> so writing my own sermon wording would be great if it wasn't for people. <laughs> you may not know this, but people are difficult. Some, like me, are more difficult than others, no doubt. But people are amazing, too. God said, it is not good for man to be alone. And I'm pretty sure he intended for relationship to be the environment we desired from that very first moment of our existence. And if not desired, after sin messed up the whole relationship thing, um, then at least needed. Relationship with each other is necessary to rein in our out-of-control hearts and give us health and balance with our fellows, with God, just like he modeled within the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Relationship with God what was, was what was lost through the breakage of sin, that choosing of our own contrary way over his, choosing ourselves over him. There's a, a wholeness and a completeness that's found in relationship. So when we look at the church, our church, Northview, us, and examine what it is, we can't do it outside of relationships. Pastor James spoke last week on the vision and direction of the church. We are the church, so he's helped define where we're heading. I'm thinking that it has something to do with living and loving like Jesus. <laughs> but it also has to be about who we are collectively and who we're becoming. That vision and direction has to be reflected in our values. And as much as I've talked about relationship already, our values are reflected in how we carry out relationship. So let's define values for a second. Core values are those deeply ingrained principles that guide all actions together. They serve as the cultural cornerstones of our group. Aspirational or hoped for values are those that we need to succeed in the future, but we currently lack. We're talking about a combination of those two things the things we are, and the things we want to be more of. Jesus himself was asked about what was the most important in terms of how we act and what we prioritize. He responded with a value statement all about relationship. You guys know this passage, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37. Jesus replied, 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Our relationship with God is priority. And our relationship with Jesus, or sorry, with relationship with each other is the next most important thing in all we do. And of course we agree with those things. We want those to be our priority too. As we reflect on how to do that again, looking at who we are and who we're becoming are important questions. So our values are critical to communicate as they help our group seek its purpose and to unify together in who we're becoming, who God is shaping us to be. They help us define, kind of help define us and direct us along the same path. They help move us closer to the target. That basketball hoop illustration that Pastor James mentioned in his last message from Ephesians. So to that end, our leadership, our staff, our elders, we've been working on how to clearly define who we are and what we're becoming to help chart that course. So there's five particular elements that stand out as the most important, and that's what I'm going to share with you guys today. So the message can tend to be a little bit disjointed as we go through five different pieces, but uh, I hope they all make sense as we rally them around relationship. So we'll talk to them briefly. Um, Each one of these things is a sermon series or a whole study in itself, Um, but I'll try to offer some ways to engage with those values as well. So that first value is spend time with God. It's pretty well accepted that to know God, to follow him, to have a relationship with him, like we talked about before, we need to spend time with him. Duh. And that comes through reading and prayer. Uh, That's often what we hear, of course. But does reading and prayer create relationship? Do those things do that? Well, what does relationship with a spouse or a close friend look like? If I told Lisa that I dearly loved her, but I limited the entirety of my time and interaction with her to a scheduled 30 minutes every morning, or if all I ever gave her was a hi and a quick thank you before dinner every night, how do you think she'd react? If all I ever, I'm sorry, um, we need to be present with the Lord throughout our day, not some rote or formulaic time schedule. And how we approach relationship and that time spent matters too. Again, if, if my interactions with Lisa were only me asking for something, or if when I approached Lisa, I said, I'm coming to you out of obedience, how long do you think I'd survive? <laughs> Don't we too often do that with God, though? We pray when we have a need, which isn't a bad thing unless that's all we connect with. Uh, We might just read according to a list on an app and try to get through it as quick as we can. Now, don't get me wrong, being part of our reading plan here is a great thing. But has it become formulaic? Or is there life there? If you were on the receiving end of doing the absolute minimum, calling that love, how would you feel? So I'd encourage you, take some time to listen to God. Do we ever really do that and expect him to answer? So let's talk about prayer for a second. Uh, some, some encouragements in what you can do. In prayer, start small. Start small in being with him in prayer. Do something new. Ask him about it. 
Ask him what he would like you to do and how he'd like you to interact. What, what does he want your interactions to look like? I, I don't think we often expect God to answer us, but he does. Try being vulnerable in your conversation with him. Be real, really real. I mean, we assume that he knows what's in our head and heart, but tell him anyway. Lean on him. Try to share a thought or two with him throughout the day, here and there as you go. Make it ongoing. As Pastor Steve would say, make it a running conversation. Tell him how you're feeling. Tell him what you think. Ask him about a decision you needed to make. Share what you struggle with. Tell him the things that you're thankful for, the ways that you recognize his impact in your life. Ask for grace and forgiveness in the moment of a mistake. Don't wait till you've accumulated this mountain of need for forgiveness or uh, wait until the end of the day. Do it constantly. Be in constant confession to him. Reading the Bible. Time reading the Bible is essential too, but it can be kind of daunting. Now, I mentioned the Bible reading plan with us uh, before, but you can join that Bible plan if you go to the Next Step tab uh, at our website, envy.org. And Pastor Steve, he facilitates that, and he sends out um, encouragements all the time so that you're not doing it just on your own. But take some time, memorize bits of Scripture. Recite them a couple of times in your travels and your coming and going. I bet you that you'll find situations that that applies to directly and ways to grow with what you've read. Um, Incidentally, that's how the Holy Spirit interacts with you, if you didn't know that. But maybe take the time to study the scriptures even in a more personal way. Dig into them. Look at something like the attributes of God. Find all the places that certain characteristics of his show up. Use a concordance. If you don't know what a concordance is, Just Google. It's amazing how that works. Read the stories that display those attributes. It it is amazing learning about God. So spend time with him, learning about him like you would a new and interesting friend. Spend time with him praying like you would when you talk to someone who's dear to you. How do you cultivate those things in a friendship if they don't exist in your relationship now? How do you do that? How do you generate a deep love for God that maybe doesn't show in your current practices? We're going to do a series on on prayer in the near future, and I think it'll be really helpful in making some of those things more practical for us. But, But start by examining what you do now and what it says about your relationship with God and figure out ways that you can grow from there. Uh, Our next value is become like Jesus. Well, that's a pretty simple one. Shouldn't be, shouldn't be hard, shouldn't take very long, maybe a couple months, right? No, that's a lifetime right there. But it's about the journey and daily choosing his way in small ways. Becoming like Jesus is our whole goal. Our time as his followers here on earth are spent apprenticing to be like him. So, first thing to become like Jesus um, Start with that first value that we already talked about. Spend time with God. We can't become like him if we don't know him. Now, you may not know this about me, but I desperately want to be just like Nicolas Cage. 
<laughs> but um, I've never actually met him, and uh, I re- haven't read anything about him personally. I've only ever seen movies where he's acting like somebody else. Um, but that shouldn't be too hard, right? That's silly. You gotta know Nicolas Cage if you wanna be like Nicolas Cage. That's probably one of the most odd quotes from this sermon ever. (laughs) You've gotta know Jesus to be like Jesus. The more we're like him, the more we align align our hearts and minds with his purpose. We can say we want to be like Jesus, but it's not something that's innate to us, not natural. We have something in us that keeps us pursuing more of ourselves instead of him. And oftentimes we think that resembling Jesus' love sounds great until we remember that it requires us to give up little bits of what we would rather do or rather become on our own. Jesus was approached by a young man who fit that mold in Mark 10 and Matthew 19. This guy wanted a restored relationship with God. He asked, how do I get to heaven? How do I get to be with God forever? And Jesus, in his response, invited him to become his disciple, to train him to be like him. But that young man went away broken because it would have cost him something he wasn't willing to let go of, his wealth. That thing, and for us, it could be a relationship, a possession, a behavior, that thing became the crux of the separation point and the obstacle of restoration and fellowship with God. Now, you may not have to let go of your money, but you will be challenged in the things you desire and the actions you take to make you more like Christ. Specifically, the ways that you are what Jesus embodied. In the ways and in your capacity to love God and love people. And I can tell you definitively that becoming like him means choosing the things that he chose. It means letting go of the behaviors that he tells you no to. It means choosing forgiveness when you don't want to. It means giving grace to someone who doesn't deserve it. It means offering mercy to someone who had done wrong, pretty much like has been done for you. It means loving people who are unlovable. And together we desire to become like Jesus. Together we want to desire to become like Jesus. So let's examine what Jesus said he valued. He said he valued loving God and loving people. So let's do those things. If you were to measure my Christ-likeness, man, I'm a terrible example. But even in my own growth, I've had to come face-to-face with the ways that I'm unlike him and I've had to change. I've had to let go of anger from not getting what I wanted. I've had to reevaluate disappointment when people didn't act the way that I planned. I've had to come face to face with Paul Tripp's definition of Christ-shaped love. Uh, He calls it a cruciform love or a cross-shaped or Christ-shaped love. He defines love as the willing self-sacrifice for the good of another that doesn't require reciprocation or that the person being loved is deserving. That's a pretty packed definition of love. But that's the love that Christ gave us and the one that we want to reciprocate to him. We can't help to become more like Jesus if we declared him the leader of our lives. It's this really cool dynamic. When we accept him as our leader, he gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit implanted in us. The Holy Spirit's part of the Trinity, part of God. 
And he gives them to us to mold us and shape us from the inside out. So if we cooperate with him, we'll come face to face with opportunities to become more like Jesus. Opportunities to choose love, to love people more, and opportunities to love God more. Jesus loved on people, and he always reminded them to go and sin no more. Stop doing the things that separate you from God. Another way to to utilize relationship within this value is to become a disciple. Meet with someone who knows Jesus well and ask them questions. Talk through and walk through together what it means to be a disciple of Christ, a learner of Christ, a student of Christ. And then share those same things with somebody else who needs to know. Um, You learn so much faster by teaching another person than by studying alone. Be a disciple and disciple someone. Again, become like Jesus. Do what Jesus did and become more like him. Our third value to hit is connect in community. I mentioned earlier that we all have some innate want to know others and be known by them. And everyone, I think, recognizes this and and tries to capitalize on this, that that need to belong, that need to be known. Um, I got a a special letter uh, recently um, that that really buys into this concept of belonging. Um, These people know me well and are inviting me to be part of their group. It's an investment house. And in it, it says, um, I'll, let's read a couple of excerpts. It takes skill, perseverance, and savvy to be counted among the wealthiest Americans. To have outsaved and outinvested your peers speaks to the kind of individual you are. They know me well. <laughs> it should also explain the exclusive nature of this communication. Later on, <clears throat> I'm enthusiastic about the possibilities because as far as I can tell, you're not only prefer personally successful, you're also astute enough to see the benefits of professional money management. All right, I'll conclude now with what I hope is just the beginning of a relationship with you. Now, these people, obviously, they know me, right? Um, I clearly belong to this group, and it's something that they've recognized and, and want to include me in their fold, as evidenced by the salutation that says, Dear Ms. Fallon. We are built for real relationship, but everybody recognizes that that is something that is innate in us. We all want relationship. We all want belonging and togetherness. We're built for real relationship. So how do we make that happen? Isn't it enough to go to church? Not necessarily. I started going to church in college uh, where my friends went. I loved the days where I showed up late and service had already started. I tried to skirt my way in quickly after, after the preaching. Um, sorry, I tried to skirt my way out after the preaching so I wouldn't have to talk to anybody. It was great. I could get in, get out, and not have talk. If watching from home on a live stream was an option, I'd have done that to avoid any awkward interactions. And I was able to keep this up for a long time. I was in a community, but I wasn't actually part of it. I was completely unconnected. And that's not what we're about here. 
getting plugged in, building friendship, trust. Those are hard things. I get that. I get that better than most. But shouldn't that drive us all the more and not deter us from connecting? There is so much in store for us in how we understand God, how we relate to him, how we gain the perspective and view of others. We get the privilege of watching the Lord transform our neighbor and knowing that that's possible for me too. We gain insight and understanding. We get opportunity for greater depth with our fellows and with God by being together. We just read uh, Ephesians 4.16 recently. Um, And it says, From him, that's Jesus, that's Christ, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We do the work of the church that God set out to build each other up. Things like providing meals for those that need. Things like caring for each other when we're sick. Supporting one another when we're hurt or broken. And encouraging those that are in difficult circumstances. So if you're not connected, if you're not part of the community, if you're not incorporated into the community, let's get you connected. Um, Join a group. Join a community group. Join multiple community groups. There's nothing wrong with that. And then once you're in community, find out what someone else's dreams and fears are. Listen to how they pray. Ask them about their take on a Bible passage. Hear their story about how Jesus found them. You want to join a group? Go to that website, nv.org, and same place, under the Next Steps tab, see what's available. Uh, I understand we have three new groups added just this month. Get connected. But if you're already part of a group, or um, maybe you've been at this for a little while, good. Start a group. Invite others into your wacky world. We would love to see each and every person at Northview connected in a community group. And even to include like half of the families who are unconnected right now would be fantastic. But to make that happen, we need more groups. So to have the, the capacity to experience the growth like that this year, we'd have to have at least 20 new groups this year. And 20 new groups means... 20 new group leaders. So if, if you're feeling comfortable, if you're feeling like you're full, um, it probably means you need to step out and get a little uncomfortable. So if you're already doing those things, though, or maybe joining a group is a little bit much right now, Break those group relationships, those dynamics, down into some bite-sized chunks. Just simply invite another family over for a meal. Come check out a men's or a women's event. I hear there's uh, cornhole guys that meet uh, on Monday nights here at church. Um, Come to a women's brunch. Join a Bible study. Come to the young adult night on Mondays at 6.30 over at the North Creek Country Church just down the way. Or just make it a point to stick around after service and introduce yourself to someone that you haven't met yet. Again, get connected. Connecting community. So take initiative and get yourself connected. Our next value is live generously. 
Uh, I'm reminded of the story of the Good Samaritan. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with it, uh, there was a man traveling who was beaten and robbed and left for dead on the side of the road. And several people who, who should have, by all rights, stopped and helped him, passed him by. And Luke, uh, Luke 10, 25 uh, picks up the story. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now, Samaritans were hated by the Jews. Um, they were transplants, uh, uh, people that were pulled out by the Assyrians in, in um, their conquest of the area and transplanted into the region right next to Israel. And they, many of them op- adopted the Jewish faith, but they were, they were hated as foreign transplants and they were seen as practicing a second-rate version of the Jewish faith. So they were looked down on. And yet, even with that, Jesus holds this as his example of hospitality, care, and love. And that he takes that, what the Samaritan gives in the highest regard. Now, the idea of giving time and money, care, and concern to someone that's so different from us and likely won't repay or even be grateful is how Jesus sees us fulfill his command to love others as ourselves. Our calling, living out a self-sacrificing gospel, giving of ourselves for the good of another, that's love. So we can be generous. We can be generous with our time. We can be generous with our treasure. We can be generous with our talents. We'll touch on each one of these. That time, being generous with our time. Time's a commodity that most of us don't have enough of. And if we're willing to share things of real value, like our precious time with other people, how much does that communicate their worth? One of the things I do here at church is I manage our family care fund. Uh, it's a, a fund uh, we can give to, we, we typically ask for it on communion Sundays, um, but it's a fund you can give to that helps support kind of the direct needs of people within our body, but also within our community. Things like food and gas and utilities and bills and rent and basic needs. But in administering that, uh, as people come in and make requests, um, more than providing funds, one of the things that I've found to be even more valuable than the money that we give is giving time to listen. People are hungry for a person that cares. Not even to get answers to problems, just to share. Just giving them time. It communicates care in a way that writing a check or giving a quick buck just doesn't. So my encouragement to you in living generously, listen to someone or several someones. Ask questions instead of speaking. Ask for their story instead of telling them yours. Be selfless in your focus. Treat them like your aim is to give the gift to them your time. So time and treasure. Money is one of those things that can have a hold on us like nothing else. I once heard somebody refer to money as life energy. We work hard for what we earn. And being generous with money is, in essence, it's kind of like being generous with your time because they both have a cost at, at some point, have that same cost. But money is like so many other things, too. It's control. Control over your desires, enabling to get, get you what you want. 
Money is security. It can eliminate the need for fear and uncertainty. When we have it, we're stable, and we can avoid the discomfort of need. Money gives us the illusion that we're masters of our own destiny. And the want of it can incite anxiety like nothing else. But if we view our treasure as someone else's from the outset, it changes that entire outlook. If we consider that money is God's, then we're only managing an investment. His investment into the people he wants to reach. We can be freer to lavish it on others when we know that he values people more than things. So let go of it. Ask God how he'd have it use it for his purposes. He'll direct you. So help somebody who's struggling. Buy somebody groceries. Bless a single mom. Cover a kid to go to summer camp or a sport. Find a neighbor with a need and help. Ties to the church. Support the endeavors to disciple and outreach here. We believe that God has directed the things we're doing within our body and with our community, so join us. We believe so strongly in giving that all of our staff, all of our elders give generously. And we model the church finances to generosity as well. Northview takes 10%, a tithe, 10% of our total budget, and we gift it to ministries and missionaries locally, regionally, and overseas to impact people that we aren't able to directly or that those groups can do better than we can. We want to model that giving generously, even with our, our, our finances, even with our treasure. And talent. Give your talent. Seek out a way to serve. It's not service for the sake of service. As we read before, there's a call for you to use your gifts to build up the body. So ask God, how do you want me to engage with serving in our body? If you have talents, I guarantee you there is a place to use them here. Music, mentoring, kids, behind the scenes, just setting up chairs, greeting, finances, you name it. There is a place. There are needs all over. As I've said, we are the church and providing for the things we do to enable that last value uh, the one that we'll talk about in a second, reaching the lost, is critical. So plug in. Do you have a gift? Do you have a willingness? You really only need one of those. So again, that brings us to our last value, reaching the lost. We all know the command Jesus left us with to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. We understand that in part that it's a directive to share Jesus with our world. And his words, the ones we hit on before, impress the need to love others. Reaching out to show love and share the gospel message, the saving grace of Jesus, and the restoration available to fulfill God's original plan of relationship, that's our primary value of meeting the most pressing need for those around us. James challenged us last week to be missionaries to our own neighborhoods and workplaces. Not to preach or to speak judgment, but to be love and to be a visible example of Christ to those who haven't met him before. Or to call back those who have walked away. So I, I want to echo the challenge that he gave. And uh, he, he did a call to action that I want to repeat. Uh, you'll see a card on the seat next to you along with your communion stuff. That blue card. Um, just pick that up for me. Those white blanks on there, um, those represent 
people, real people, uh, people with lives and families and, and, and needs. Those white blanks represent the unchurched to the dechurched near us. They might be your neighbors, your coworkers, your school friends, maybe your relatives. Can you come up with five people within your circle to engage with this year? Maybe it's just a dinner invite. Maybe it's just conversations over the fence. Maybe it's offering to mow a lawn or take care of a pet. How, how can you engage with five people in your circle? And maybe it's tough for you to think of five people. I'll admit, I'm a little bit isolated, even in my own Christian circle. I live and work at the church. Uh, all my friends and family are in this room. But I'm actually excited to branch out and, and, and I want to take strides to get to know my neighbors, neighbors on either side of me who both come from really different cultures and we even have some serious language barriers. Um, not because I want to hit them in the head with a Bible, but I, I want to get to know them. I want to love on them. I want to listen to them. I want to share Jesus with them, not just in words, but in life and living. So can you take that challenge? Maybe it's easy, maybe it's more difficult, but I'd ask you to actually take this home. Actually write the names on it and put it in a place you'll see regularly. On the fridge, on your bathroom mirror. Not, not so you feel guilt or shame or obligation, but just as a reminder to pray. Pray for those people and look for ways to engage with them specifically. For me, I have to actually do that because if I don't, it gets lost in all my other to-dos. So I'm just asking, will you do it with me? So those are our values. Those are the things that we are and want to be. We recognize the ways that God is growing us in relationship in those elements. Spend time with God, become like Jesus, connect in community, live generously, and reach the lost. Let's be those critical values that we strive for. Uh, Peter admonishes us to embrace growth in the ways that give us a more robust faith and make us more like Jesus in our love. 2 Peter 1, 5-7 says this, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. Choosing to develop these things will allow us to fulfill the command to love God and love people to greater degrees. I hope these resonate with you. I hope that these values urge you into action like they do for me. Father, you are an amazing God that you have intertwined so many things together for our good uh, to bring us into relationship with you. But sometimes it doesn't feel like something we want to do, but the way that you've designed relationship with each other to grow us and sharpen us and show us the need for you, the way to wear off our rough edges and make us more Christ-like is absolutely amazing. Lord, I thank you for giving us direction here. I pray that the values that, that we settle on, the values that we try and live out, would be pleasing to you that you would be glorified through our actions to love each other and to love you. Lord, help us to employ these things, not as 
the things that we have to do, but instead as things that we get to because we love you so deeply. Lord, it's easy to do when we know how much you've loved us. Father, we lift up this time. We, we lift up this challenge even of reaching five people. Lord, that's a hard thing. I don't know how I'm going to come up with five people that, I, that are unchurched, dechurched. That's, that's out of my bubble. I let you, yet we know that your Holy Spirit will work to grow and mold and shape and will provide those names. Father, help me to have a right heart before you as we go about these things. We lift all of that up to you in Jesus' name. Amen.